Um, next Saturday at 9 a.m., we're going to meet here for a time of prayer from 9 to 12. When I say we, I mean all of us. I hope you're all here. 9 to 12 for us to pray together and to spend some concerted time asking God to be with us in 2020. I think that He was with us in 2019. Uh, we want Him to be present even more. And so we certainly uh, want to spend some time just focusing on the ministry that we want to get done, the ways in which God, uh, we want Him to bless us. We want to just spend some time thanking Him and praising Him, not just always asking for things, but to praise Him and thank Him for the ways in which He's already blessed us and the ways in which He's going to. So please, next Saturday from 9 to 12, plan to, to just come. We'll spend some time in worship. We'll spend a lot of time in prayer, some time in reflection, and I think that God will bless us as we do so. One of the things that we're going to be praying about next Saturday and that we've already prayed about today is depicted in this photograph that you see on the screen. This is the southern province of Zambia. And it's a beautiful relationship that this church and many churches of Christ in Western Canada have with the country of Zambia. My daughter is from Zambia. Uh, Luke Hodgson is from Zambia. There are others that are from Zambia that have been adopted into churches uh, in Western Canada. And the reason for that is that years ago, there was a church, a church in Victoria had a missionary that we had in Zambia. We built a relationship with her. And then in 1987, they ran into a crisis, a humanitarian crisis, one having to do with drought and hunger. And right now, uh, they're in virtually the same circumstances. It's just like 1987 all over again. There are people who are in peril. I don't know uh, if anyone that we know or if anybody has actually died yet of hunger in southern Zambia, um, but there are parts of Zambia where that could be happening. I did hear that the BBC had picked up the news and had started to broadcast it. I'm guessing that the United Nations will respond, but as of recently, there had been real no response from the rest of the world. What you see here, you can see that there's a truck in this photograph. That's a, a truck that is sponsored by Zambia Mission Fund Canada. Um, and we, unfortunately, um, money is not the problem. Like, we, we actually have quite a bit of money at our, disposable, uh, our disposal. What we don't have uh, is food. Uh, and so there's, the food hasn't grown. We have to buy the food uh, right now in the southern part of Zambia. And it's, it's not all that readily available. So... Um, it's been touch and go in terms of whether or not there would be food that would be purchased even though money is actually available. So what you see here are some people who are representing Zambia Mission Fund Canada uh, on that truck getting ready to hand out bags of mealy meal to people who are in need. And by the way, like uh, Megan, my daughter, is probably from about 50 kilometers or so from where this photograph was taken. Uh, very close by is where she's from. These are some folks who, as you can see, have received some bags of food. Uh, you know, the, the direct connection between our church and these people receiving food is very direct. Uh, we have been giving money uh, to this project for years. Uh, they fortunately, Zambia Mission Fund Canada, fortunately right now, has quite a bit of, of money uh, in their pockets. And so we've been able to spend uh, several thousands, multiple thousands of dollars on food to give to people in southern Zambia. And we actually have some folks who are directly connected with us who distribute it. And so although this next picture is not a great picture, 
Uh, it's a little bit blurry, but you can see there's a woman standing in the foreground in a green, kind of gray, green, green top or so. Her, na- her name is Ruth uh, Bumwai. I don't know how to say it very well. I think Jonathan probably says it better than I do. And you'll notice that uh, I wanted to show you this picture for two reasons. One is because every lady in this picture except for Ruth is pregnant. And that's because it is a, it's a place where ladies go who are pregnant to receive health care so that their children will be healthy when they're born. And so they go and receive food and, and uh, vitamins and meds, whatever it is needed to make for healthy babies. And so Ruth was wanting to make sure that this place received food. And so she's dropping some off, as you can see. Um, and again, that's, like, that's directly connected to who we are because we help sponsor that specific work. And I'll let Jonathan tell the story and his connection with Ruth uh, at the end of the time today. But uh, that is a lady who works very hard in the country of Zambia. She's originally from Brazil. She speaks Portuguese, of course, and is originally from Brazil, uh, went to Abilene Christian, and uh, eventually made her way after marrying a Zambian to Zambia uh, and has been working there under Zambia Mission Fund Canada as an agent connected. She and her husband, Shepard, for years now have worked with us and just does a great job, very diligent, a real servant uh, of the Lord for sure. This is what she wrote last night. At this point, we surrender to God all these souls physically hungry. It has become impossible to go through the multitude in light of what the truck can carry. And I think when she says go through the multitude, I just think she means I can't get food to all of them, as you'll see here at the end. Many sad faces, tempers arise, and we really feel hopeless. May the Lord feed the people in Zambia. Yesterday, distribution was not that successful. Lots of people went home empty-handed. And, and again, the problem is not so much money as much as it is availability and also just manpower, trying to get the world aware of the problem, uh, which they're now waking up to, and hopefully very soon here the problem will be taken care of. I'm not anticipating that there are going to be thousands of deaths or something in southern Zambia because of this. I think people are aware of it. I think it will be taken care of. But we, we've been one of the first responders on scene there to feed hungry people. And I think it's a rich blessing from God that we've had that opportunity. So please continue to pray about that. The, the neat connection between all of that and what we're doing right now this morning is that we are, all by coincidence, because God does that kind of thing, beginning a study on the book of Ruth this morning. And of course, this lady who is a servant of Christ doing what we want her to do in Zambia is named after this wonderful person in the Bible. And so we're going to look at the book of Ruth, and I want you to turn, if you would, to Ruth. It's underneath, uh, in, the, in the books underneath, the Bibles underneath your seats, page 187, that we're going to look at, and Ruth chapter 1. And let me just say, I hope you turn there and read this along with me, because I'm going to be reading a sizable portion. In fact, I'm going to read the whole chapter, pretty much. And it's so that we can get the story, this beautiful, beautiful story, about this woman who is so faithful to God. And I just love the fact that she is. Ruth chapter 1, uh, verse 1, and, th- and this just sets the background and gets the story going for what we're going to do over the next four weeks or so. In the days when the judges ruled, and if you remember anything about the judges in their time, it was a rough time, not an easy time for Israel at all. Uh, there were judges who would get on the, uh, in the position of power and authority and would be... Uh, good 
and doing God's will in significant ways, but then they also had some real problems. You think about someone like Samson who was a judge and all the difficulties that Samson went through. So often brought on, I think, by his own doing. So it was a tough time, in one sense kind of a dark time, where the nation would for a while be faithful to God and then they would stop being faithful to God. So a man from Bethlehem and Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. The man's name was Elimelech, his wife's name was Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Malon and Kilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem, Judah, and they went to Moab and lived there. Now Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left with her two sons. So tragedy already here. Like there's famine, and then her husband dies after she moves to a foreign country. And she was left with her two sons. They married Moabite women, which actually was allowable uh, under the law in this case for them to marry Moabites. One named Orpah and the other Ruth. And after they had lived there about 10 years, so Elimelech dies, they lived there for 10 years, then both Melon and Kilian also died. And Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. So this woman from Judah, an Israelite, travels to Moab, lives there a while, her husband dies, and then 10 years later, uh, her two sons die. And as we know, 10 years is like that, right? It doesn't take very long. When Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them, um, she and her daughters-in-law prepared to return home from there. With her two daughters-in-law, she left the place where she had been living and set out on the road that would take them back to the land of Judah. Then Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, go back, each of you, to your mother's home. May the Lord show you kindness as you have shown kindness to your dead husbands and to me. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. Then she kissed them goodbye, and they wept aloud and said to her, We will go back with you to your people. And, and that sounds so good on the surface. They've made a decision. They're going to stick with her. And there's a sense of family loyalty here, and you have to kind of admit, uh, admire these two girls. But Naomi said, return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? Am I going to have more sons who could become your husbands? Return home, my daughters. I am am too old to have another husband. Even if I thought there was still hope for me, even if I had a husband tonight and then gave birth to sons, would you wait until they grew up? Would you remain unmarried for them? No, my daughters, it is more bitter for me than for you because the Lord's uh, hand has turned against me. Wow. That's a strong line. The Lord's hand has turned against me. Well, that's convincing, at least for one of them. At this, they wept aloud again. Then Orpah, who obviously has made a decision to honor Naomi's advice here, kissed her mother-in-law goodbye. But Ruth clung to her. Look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. And that's a significant line, by the way. Go back with her. But Ruth replied, Don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where, where you go, I will go, and where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, and your God my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. When Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. So the two women went on until they came to Bethlehem. 
When they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women exclaimed, can this be Naomi? Don't call me Naomi, she told them. Call me Mara. And if you look at a footnote, that means bitter. She's got a bitter attitude now. Call me Mara, because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord Almighty, and it's interesting that she puts this on God, I went away full, but the Lord Almighty has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. And so Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, arriving in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was just beginning. Wow. Like normally when we hear about an Israelite, certainly from the Old Testament, we normally hear about people who are triumphant in God somehow. Faithful to God. The people in the Old Testament are typically in the book. They're in the stories because they're the ones who are faithful and serve God. It's either that or because they're atrocious sinners and rebelling against them. In this case, though, we have Naomi who has all of these things that have grieved her. Real situations in life. Tough things about her existence. And her response to those, instead of faithfulness, is to say, God has afflicted me. God has brought this upon me. In fact, call me bitter. Because that's who I am in light of all that God has done to me. Well, we know that that's not the whole story. Ruth comes into Naomi's life. And she comes right at a time when things, as we said, were not great for Israel. In fact, we could say that the whole time that they're experiencing, whether it's Naomi and all the personal things coming to her, or the nation and, its, and all the things that are happening with, uh, with Israel in general, represent really insecurity and hardship, if anything else. Now, it's interesting, I don't know exactly what Shepard and Ruth are experiencing today in Zambia. I did, like I got an email from her or a text from her just this morning, and it was a little short video, and it was actually raining. And I'm glad that it was raining. You know, it means that things will green up. Crops will start to grow. But again, crops can grow, but the food's not going to be produced overnight. So there isn't food for these people to eat, even if the crops grow. It is a time of hardship. It's a time when... They have to feel insecure and wondering what in the world is going on. And Naomi was experiencing that and ends up bitter. Ruth, on the other hand, seems to be exactly the opposite. Isn't it striking the contrast between the bitterness in response to life and the loyalty to covenant that Ruth herself exemplifies? And again, it's interesting, who is the Israelite here? Who's the one that's supposed to be faithful to God? Who's the one who is God's called person? Naomi. And who's the Moabite? Who's the one who's apparently on the outs? And yet ends up being a faithful one. That contrast gets expressed certainly in verse 13. 
It is more bitter for me than for you because the Lord's hand has turned against me. I don't know if you've ever felt that way. You know, we have, we have people in our church family who, if I was to ask, do they have maybe some, I don't know, right's not the right word, but would there be good reason for them to say, God seems to, to have it out for me? At least all of us probably have known people who thought to themselves, what in the world is going on? What is God doing? Why are things not working out for me the way that I thought that they would or should? I thought if God was with me, that all the good things would come. And instead, it's bad things that come. And so bitterness and blame have become Naomi's character. Have you ever known anybody like this? Where it just seemed like everything that came out of their mouth was some element of bitterness? Some reflection that they had on their circumstances that was negative? We talk about people having the, the personality of an Eeyore. Who is Eeyore? What's he from? Winnie the Pooh. What does Eeyore do? He grumbles about everything. I just knew things were going to turn out horrible. That's kind of Eeyore's perspective on life. And we've known people like that. In this case, though, it's interesting. Like, I think in some sense Naomi adopts that. But when you've had your husband die, and you've lost two children, I can understand how a person would begin to grumble a little bit, to be a little bit bitter. We might say to someone, I, I understand. I get it. If I was in your shoes, I'd probably be feeling about like you are. And so there is some sense in which I kind of identify, I think, with Naomi, or at least understand where she's coming from. Orpah, in verse 14, leaves, and she doesn't at all follow a faithful kind of perspective toward Naomi. But then there's Ruth. And Ruth does exactly the opposite, both of Orpah and what we would expect Ruth to do. Ruth is the Moabite. Where it looks like Naomi should be the example to Ruth, it ends up that Ruth becomes the example, and really, in one sense, the leader of Naomi down the path that Naomi herself needs to go. And so Ruth says in verse 16, where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. And look at what she says next. Your people will be my people. And your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord which is her new God. She's chosen now this God. Deal with me, be it ever so severely, if anything but death separates you and me. And the thing that just blows me away here is that this woman who was a Moabite and did not have faith in Israel, or faith in the God of Israel, gives herself then to him. And when she does, she absolutely gives herself entirely to this new God and this new people, and this new life, and this new family. 
There isn't anything about Ruth's life that isn't about to change. Everything is going to be different. Everything will be new. And the only reason is because Ruth has made the decision that she is going to serve this God. There are some of you sitting here this morning who weren't raised in the church. And at some point, you heard the good news about Jesus. And when you did, everything changed. There was nothing the same after you made your decision for Christ. Because when one makes that kind of decision, the kind of decision that Ruth made, everything becomes different. There is a commitment there that you never had before. There are new connections and new relationships, a new forming of your whole personhood because of this new relationship. Everything changes for the person who chooses to be faithful to God. And that's the choice that Ruth made. Look at the language. It's not just the people that she chooses. She does choose to be with a people and say, I now want to be with Naomi and she's a Judite and I'm going to be an Israelite with her. But the real crux of the decision is your God and my God. And I'm going to die with him. I'll die where the Israelites die. I'll be part of this culture, of this land, of this people, of this belief. And everything changes for her. Is that where you're at? Has everything changed for you? Is your loyalty and commitment to this God that you've chosen? And the fact is that we in Churches of Christ, we don't talk much about things like paedo-baptism, baptizing of children and people being Christians from infancy. What we talk about are people making a decision for themselves about who Jesus is. And so when you come to Christ, you make your own choice and you say, I am of age, I'm choosing Jesus. Isn't that what you did? How many of you went into the waters of baptism thinking, ah, this is just kind of a superficial thing I'm doing. Don't really care that much about it, but somebody wants me to do it, so I'll do it. Virtually all of us go into the waters of baptism thinking seriously about what God means in our lives and who we are and how we're going to be changed. The Holy Spirit's going to come in and take residence in my life. I'm going to be forgiven and transformed and made new and clean and different. I'm becoming a new person. Paul got a new name. Peter got a new name. Why? Because we're different people in God. So I want to partially ask this morning, is that still your commitment? Is that still who you are, this new person? Because when I read Ruth, I see a person who became completely different from what she was. There was nothing she held back, nothing that wasn't changed. With great intentionality and strength, she even refuses to allow Naomi's bitterness to become her own. Do you see that in the story? Do you see the way that Ruth, once she makes the decision for Yahweh and says, I am his, her faithfulness transcends that of her broken mother-in-law so that Ruth's faith and her commitment is so strong and so genuine, so 
deep within her that it becomes the criterion for faithfulness. It becomes the standard which Naomi, as an Israelite, should have been living up to, but needs instead this Moabitess to come and live that way. What I want to say about Ruth this morning is that Ruth ends up being a covenant keeper. Ruth keeps her covenant with God. And it doesn't matter that she's lost her husband and lost her father-in-law. It doesn't matter that she's lost her people and become a part of a new nation. Because she's now given herself to this God with tremendous faith. There isn't anything more disappointing to God, I don't think, than the breaking of a covenant. There isn't anything perhaps more stirring and which moves God more than the keeping of one. And Ruth has the heart of a covenant keeper. Now, it's interesting, spoiler alert here. When bad things happen, God still wants faith. And one of the things that's evident in the story is that he's actually expecting, hoping, wanting, guiding Naomi back to faith. And so by the time we get to the end of the story, Naomi's faith is restored. In fact, there is a movement from the end of chapter 1 on. There's a movement through this story. Naomi's kind of uh, redeveloping faith as she works with Ruth and they go through a number of things. And and Naomi starts to have her faith rebuilt. And that's because God is faithful and he does care and he takes care of us. And so there are people here who experience great hardship and we have wondered, where is he? What's he doing? I don't understand. I am absolutely sure that I'm speaking today to somebody who's been on their knees, crying to God, maybe in their closet, and saying, God, why? I think Naomi felt that, and at least in the beginning, doesn't respond so faithfully. Ruth, on the other hand, experiences just that and becomes all that God wants her to be because she then gives herself completely to him. So I know you've experienced pain, have felt the pain maybe of a deep kind enough to blame God. Some of you have experienced betrayal. You've lost loved ones despite praying for them. You yourself in some cases have been sick despite praying that God would heal you. You've lost your livelihood in some cases, despite trusting that he would take care of you and your family. You've been forced to leave your family and make your way to another country in some cases. I know people who are sitting in the room who for years, for years, had to leave their family in hopes that their family would then be able to come and join with them. I I don't know how you do it. I cannot imagine what it would be like for me to leave Robin and Megan and the rest of my family and be gone for years, seeing them very seldom so that there was the potential for a new life. I don't know what that's like. I'm amazed at your strength. I'm amazed at your faithfulness that you've been able to do that. And yet at the same time, this story seems to honor just exactly that. 
to expect just exactly that. And so it's not out of line for me to ask that you remain faithful. It's not out of line for me to say, yes, I know you've experienced incredible hardship, but I want you still to keep your covenant relationship with God. I want you to keep trusting the Lord. I'm asking you to rise above the challenge of your heartache and your hardship and your grief and to allow God's ultimate faithfulness to overcome and carry you past all the potential bitterness that you feel. That's a big ask. I know it is. Do I have the right to say to people who have grieved in serious ways, Stay faithful anyway. If I do, it's not because of my own faithfulness, that's for sure. It's only on the basis of what I see in God as He does continue to be faithful. And then there are those people like a Ruth who ends up responding to God in such wonderful ways. And because she does, God blesses her. In fact, You tell me, church, you already know the answer. Who is Ruth's great-grandson? For whom is she the great-grandmother? David. And so much of this story, I think, again, spoiler alert here, we get to chapter 4, and the whole point is that Ruth has a heart that seeks after God. You could say about Ruth, you could say, here's a woman who is after God's own heart. And she becomes the great-grandmother of David because of this great heart of faithfulness. By the way, I'd love to be able to tell you that the grief that you've experienced and God's faithfulness We'll take care of things so that by the end of this life, it'll all be over and, uh, you know, the last 10 years of your life will be really good even though the previous years weren't so good. I wish I could tell you that kind of thing. I wish I could tell you that God will resolve it all before you die. The fact is, I can't. Sometimes, God is faithful only after people die in terms of actually bringing about that kind of resolution to their grief. So what I can promise you are two things. One is, That during the toughest times, God is not absent. He's not detached or deserting you. One of the things we see in Ruth is God's providence, caring for these women, taking care of Ruth, putting her in a perfect position so that she can flourish for him. And that's the case even if you feel like he has and even if you move away from him yourself. You can try and get away from him if you want. But he's not going anywhere. He will continue to love and to care for you, even at those times when you want to move away from him. And secondly, God will ultimately honor faithfulness, even if it comes on the other side of death. You know, I actually believe that. I believe that. Sometimes people criticize those of us who believe such things as if we only talk about pie in the sky when you die. That's a mocking way to describe something that's real and true. 
that we trust God to the point where even if I die in Him today, I will die in Him. God expects and wants that kind of faithfulness from us, and He promises that He will bless us in response to our faith. He blessed Ruth. We'll see that. We need to keep believing in Him and trusting, even in the darkest of times. Let's pray. God, I want to thank you this morning for this rich, wonderful story. I want to thank you for this Lady Ruth, who is such a shining example, such a wonderful, faithful servant of yours. Thank you for her heart of loyalty and commitment. Thank you for her offspring that ultimately is not only David, but the seed of David. Your Messiah who comes from this same lineage and lived the life of faithfulness. We thank you for all of this. We pray, God, that you'd help us in the year 2020 to live in such a way as to honor this kind of loving faithfulness that you have for us. Help us to respond in kind. We pray through Jesus. Amen.